Hi friends, I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. I wonder if that's going to be off. I started it off. Oh, probably. And in 54 episodes, I've never done that, so... Yeah, that was weird. Happy Tuesday. Hey. <laughs> I just had a total, like, almost meltdown right before starting this. I was, as I said, just setting up, and I had my Coke Zero that I just opened, and everything was sitting here, and Wednesday, for those who don't know, that's a kitten, <laughs> she bolted across my desk and knocked the Coke Zero right into my microphone, so this could sound like I'm, like, Blah, 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 underwater because I could be drowning in Coke Zero right now. But we're just going to go with it and see what happens. Well, you're definitely drowning in Coke Zero no matter what, but you don't currently sound like you're <laughs> underwater. So fingers crossed. Yeah, I am like fueled on Coke Zero. Well, I just about had a meltdown before we started too, but that's just because Megatron's ruining my life. So it's fine. Everything's fine. Do you want to elaborate? Yeah. For everyone who doesn't understand that reference. I'm talking about Omricon and the the gyms just got closed where we are because COVID and variants, variants and you know, anyways, that's fine. I was actually thinking about it because I was like, you know, you get that initial reaction when it's something that affects you where you're like, oh, fuck, fuck my life. Like, don't take the gym away from me right now. We're in the middle of food season, people. Um, no, but then you think about it and like, you know, reading a little bit further into the restrictions, like people who are hospitalized or in care homes and things like that have their visitors restricted and that's so much more. I mean, the gym obviously does impact people's mental health and things like that. But like, I'm a very able-bodied, privileged person. You can find other ways totally. to replace that thing that's taken away where some people don't have that luxury and that's heartbreaking. Yeah, and like the grand scheme of things, it's like actually a very like minuscule and first world problem that I am having whereas a lot of people are like way more detrimentally affected by restrictions and these variants and things like that. So anyway, I am working on getting over my own self. I can't believe I'm just saying this at like the 55th episode but everything we complain about here is first world problems and we know yeah we are very yeah like i'm super aware i hope that everyone we're just that. both i'm just complaining complainers. Yeah. <laughs> no i'm trying to be less of a complainer just like with you i am but it just ends up being recorded for the world <laughs> and i choose not to edit it out because this is real life people mm, yes we are all affected by these things it's true anyways stay safe everyone I know the restrictions are for our safety, so stay stay safe out there. I'll be running stairs outside somewhere in the snow, being also safe and not slipping, I promise. You sure? (laughs) No, I fell on my ass hard running in the mountain one time last year when the gym closed, but I probably won't do that again. I feel going to get a rock star from my car the other morning if it makes you feel better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a hard knock life on the west coast where it never snows just none of us are prepared like it could just exactly it could be walking to your car or it could be trying to do something stupid like exercise outside in the snow we're still gonna fall i feel like exercising is just bad for your health no it's not that's the opposite 
Okay. It seems really risky. I'm going to have to start a different podcast where I teach you about health. <laughs> and finances. <laughs> and, uh, just kidding. I can when only... did I become the child in this relationship and you became the adult? I don't know. this is a real shift. I can only commit to speaking on air once a week, though, so... Done. Well, oh, I'm really shit. excited about this case. Yeah, in like the worst way possible. It's definitely something different for us. Yeah, I. this has just been on my mind since we started and I felt, well, didn't feel like it was time. I just, I got into it and I started and I couldn't stop and here we are. When you said the other day you were Rounding getting out our year. really into like sports related crimes, probably because you were researching this, but it's actually such a fascinating subcategory of true crime, if you will. Yes, Simon and I were talking about this one and he purposely said that he wasn't going to look into it because I kept saying there's so much to this that we didn't know yeah. or didn't hear. And it's just really fascinating. In a really sad way, yeah. but just also the way the media plays into it and how the story was changed and the narrative. We'll get there, yeah. but yeah, it's a lot. And as a reminder, we have a limited number of free good food boxes to give away to try. So if you want to try a free monthly subscription box for the first week on us, reach out to us on social media and we will hook you up with one of those. Canada's number one meal kit, baby. Heck yeah. Hey, you didn't do the... We're live! We're live! It's because I threw myself off by doing your job at the beginning. So then I forgot what uh, yeah, my job was. Yeah, it was really odd when you just... When I went, okay, let's start recording. You're like, okay, three, two... I was like, why is she counting? Nobody knows. But it just went with it. Spicing it up for oh. the new year. Anyway, let's get into today's case. Unless we have any other housekeeping. No, I think that was more housekeeping than anybody asked for. <laughs> yeah, fair. Or today. 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 We will talk about... <laughs> today, we are going to talk about Chris Benoit. For anyone, any Canadian really, that name should sound quite familiar. Or maybe anyone who was into... The wrestling world throughout the 90s, early 2000s. Was that you? Uh, well, <laughs> it was uh, It was more my brother. He was a little bit older than me. He's eight years older than I am. So it was much more him. But I wanted to be my brother when I was little. I was going to say. haircut. I just wanted to be him. So I would sit and watch wrestling for hours with him. I was going to say that was like a low Yeah, that was like a low-key rhetorical question cuz you were into wrestling when I met you and like I know nothing about that world whatsoever. Okay, that was a different phase when I was into wrestling. There was two. There was the one when I was a child and then there was the one when I got older and yes, I just found another small group of people that were into it. I our friend Anil, we just got super into it together. It became became a thing. We got into, like, Raw and SmackDown and when the rosters split. Yeah, we were super into it. I'm not going to lie. I just tagged along for the social aspect. I still, to this day, have no idea what was going on. She just came to eat and drink. Yeah. Born May 21st, 1967 in Quebec, 
Christopher Michael Benoit was born to Michael and Margaret Benoit. He had a sister named Lori, and they grew up in Edmonton, Alberta. He speaks fluent French and English. Oh, what a skill. He was... Right. Such a, I wish I, I had cared that, more about French in high school. Me too. My mom I was, was just right. Gonna say, I should have followed through. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Literally, my mom was right. I should have paid more attention to French in high school. It would have come in handy. That was like probably the one thing that would have come in really handy for me. Definitely, especially in your career now. Yeah, just like living in Canada in a bilingual country. Agreed. Just overall, it's not a negative. It's not going to do you any harm. They're like, oh, you're bilingual? We're going to pay you less. Yeah. Anyway, cool. Love that. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. At full size, (laughs) I wrote that in here. At full size, he was (laughs) 5'11". Like one of those (laughs) dolls that you put in water and it grows. Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. He was 5'11". Yeah. He was 5'11". Weighing in at a very intimidating 229 pounds of solid muscle. He had a very, like, standout physique. That's one thing that was talked about a lot throughout his entire life. Even when he was younger, competing in just high school sports. Everybody said that he had quite a stature about him. Especially because he he was an average height, being 5'11". He just had something about him that made him look absurdly strong and if you see the photos you'll you'll see by 1997 chris was actually married and divorced from his first wife martina also named my favorite waitress at a restaurant when i was a kid with her he had two kids david and megan his son david actually went on to make his wrestling debut at the heart legacy event but it was later canceled because david was having Essentially, a lack of training, wasn't ready for the fight, and when they actually saw him, they couldn't willingly let him go into this match, knowing that he was so unprepared. Yeah, so knowing they just that it the would, match altogether. Yeah, knowing it would be unsafe and he'd get clobbered. Yeah, because he was going in writing his dad's name. Right. That's and then he actually showed up, and they were like, oh, this is what you... Are trained for? Like you weren't going to try? That's not you were, this. You're just going to assume that your name was going to get you here? Yeah, that doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't quite work that way. No. not Especially not in Chris, wrestling. No, not at all. So Chris continued to work towards his lifelong dream of becoming a big-time wrestler, and he actually started to work under Stu Hart. So I'm sure everybody knows that the Hart family is a big name in wrestling, if you were into it, Olivia's smirking like maybe you had no idea. Not a clue. <laughs> like Brett the Hitman Heart. No, I don't know anything about wrestling. Okay. Like I'm completely blind. Okay. Katie's gonna have Take some a deep breath. Deep breaths. This is kind of one of those things that you hope will never come out, and I've just put it out there that I like wrestling. No, it's fine. You can teach me. I, I mean, not in this moment, but we will get to this. Okay. You teach me about finances, I'll teach, teach you about, about the fake wrestling world. WWE. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Sounds like a goodness. fair trade. <laughs> so, 
that's so Chris good. and the Hart family start working together as of 1985. And this was a really common starting point for most famous Canadian wrestlers. Okay. They would start out working with the Hart family in what's called the Hart family dungeon. And Stu Hart was kind of known to make great wrestlers was his thing. Okay. So he locked them in his he- dungeon and was strict until they complied. I think a lot of these people were pretty batshit crazy on their own. I think you have to be to go into the ring in a lot of ways. Yeah, no fair. Yeah. Debuting at the Calgary Stampede as Dynamite Chris Benoit, as one of his favorite wrestlers at the time, was the Dynamite Kid, as well as Bret Hart. Okay. Here is where he showcased what would become one of his signature moves that he had actually carried on from other wrestlers in the past, which would be the diving headbutt. At the time, he did not know what he was doing. I just gotta say, like, that can't be good for your cognitive functions. A diving headbutt sounds, if it is what it sounds like, I just can't imagine that's good for your brain. It is, and his other move was called the sharpshooter, so nothing about either of these, considering all these moves involve your own body, typically, don't sound great. And the diving headbutt is where he would climb up to the top rope, stand on the turnbuckle, and exactly that. Dive head first at his opponent, but when he did it, he essentially knew what it was supposed to look like, but not actually how to execute it. He did it wrong the very first time, and he ended up just winding himself during the match, and after that said that he would never do the move again. Yeah. Let me guess. So he says. He he did, though. He does, he does. You throw your neck out? That sounds like it hurts. It's winded himself, like... Um, it, it, it looks like it hurts. Chris then went to get some more opportunities within the wrestling industry and went over to Japan from 1986 to 1997, where he actually proved himself to be a pretty substantial contender. He was the junior heavyweight division champion when he beat Jushin Thunderliger. Yeah. Okay. Thunderliger. I'm assuming, you know, like Napoleon Dynamite, Tiger, Lion. Liger. That's what I got from that. Following this time in Japan is when he added a mask to his persona and started going by Pegasus Kid. And he was one of few wrestlers that actually was allowed to wrestle outside of Japan as well. Most contracts while you were training there meant you could only fight within Japan. But he was actually able to fight outside, even winning one of the very few matches he did which actually gave him some notoriety, taking the WWF light heavyweight champion. So this is where he started to get notoriety back in America, and he could start to work back into this wrestling world and get back from Japan, close to his family. Okay. So during short trips back to North America, Chris began to get local notoriety through the ECW and the WCW briefly as well. Just, well, I'll tell you later. Other wrestling collectives. Is um is the term kid common with wrestlers? I think it was more so. Okay. I don't think it is anymore. I think it was like a 80s, 90s thing. Okay. More so. Interesting. Because I don't remember it being as popular when I watched wrestling more recently. Okay. 
I was I was more just curious because we have Pegasus kid and we had somebody else kid. Yeah. We had the dynamite kid so far. There's a lot, yeah. There's some names. Okay. I tried to leave out most of the other wrestling names that I could just to keep it really simple. Fair. But you need some of them. And they come in right here. And this is where I was like, ooh, this is fun. <laughs> this is around the time of Hulkamania. I'm sure you know who Hulk Hogan is. That one I know. That's probably one that I don't have to explain to you. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Correct. So Chris made it big when he decided to join forces with Ric Flair becoming part of his faction, becoming a four horseman. In 1995, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Brian Pillman, who just went by Pillman usually though, and himself made up the Four Horsemen. He actually went on to have a feud with Kevin Sullivan, who was from a different like faction, so another group of wrestlers. They divided and it actually ended up being like a head-to-head tag team storyline the way they did it. So they picked two people from one faction and two people from the other and against each other. Oh, okay. So we originally had two groups of four and they temporarily got along to fight through Hulkamania. But then they started to have cracks in there and split and went two on two. But they went two on two because Sullivan's real life wife became, this is where you gotta follow me here. This is where WWE gets real confusing. So his wife in real life was also part of the WWE universe. And her storyline was that her and Chris Benoit were like kind of a team. She would come out with him. She was kind of like, and she just went by woman. Okay. So her real name is Nancy Tovaloni. They end up hitting it off. She's still married to Sullivan, but they have, like, undeniable chemistry, although nothing's happened. Okay. Clearly this is an issue. Creates a lot of drama between all of them. Yeah, I mean, it's like when an actor plays on, like, a really close relationship on a TV show with an actress, but also has... It's like Jen Aniston and Angelina Jolie. Let's just... Put it like that, yeah. right? That's Call it's it like, like we see a it. Mr. and Mrs. Smith moment. A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. And in this circumstance, I think Nancy and Kevin were already like not doing great, so he was hypersensitive to the idea yeah. that this other man was having this great connection and great time with his wife, even if part of it was just for in front of cameras. But The weird thing is with the WWE, a lot of what you do has to be kept behind closed doors. So outside of this, you actually have to follow a lot of the storylines. So there were even times where they were supposed to be like living together and were in the same houses for extended periods of time, staying in the same hotel rooms together. And they were both committed to their careers and apparently nothing happened. But if I was Kevin Sullivan, I would not have been comfortable with that in any way, shape or form. And of course, yes, I think that. Yeah, I would think something was going on if I was Kevin, no matter what. I mean, I think it warrants, like, feelings of jealousy or just feelings of, like, seeing your partner developing a close relationship with someone else. Like, not everything Mm -hmm. has to be sexual, especially if you're already going through it with that person and you see them, like, developing a close emotional bond and spending a lot of time together. Like, it's just as damaging. 100%. And that's exactly what he saw. And I just think he saw 
Nancy kind of slipping away. Yeah. To his credit, though, apparently Sullivan never once brought it back into the ring or the industry, though, and took cheap shots at him. So when they were, like, head-to-head in actual fights, if he was supposed to lose to him, he would. Or if he was supposed to take certain submissions, he would do it. He kept it very professional, at least. So that's all he could really ask at that point. Nancy has been married one other time other than Kevin. So when she and Chris get married November 23rd of 2003, it's her third marriage. And for Chris, it's his second. February 25th of 2000, they did have a son together named Daniel. FYI. Okay. Because Daniel is going to become an important part of the story as we move forward. All right. So they do end up getting married. Yeah. In 2003. Okay. They do. And then they have their son, Daniel. There was allegations that Daniel may have had some mental deficit of some kind. However, it was not confirmed. Okay. So I, I found, I saw it in a few places. It was always alleged though. No sources confirmed that he was ever diagnosed with something from what I could see. And I don't want to use it as a crutch in the story. Like, I found that it seemed like it was a lot of times um, as a source of turmoil. But I don't believe that that was true personally. So I don't want to harp on the fact. Just prior to all of their life events happening and up to the birth of Daniel, Chris's career was going great. He had an ongoing feud with Booker T. So he had constant airtime. He was a regular in consistent matches and storylines. And in 2000, the WCW was failing, so he made a move to the WWE entirely. And that was along with who were called the Radicals, so another faction he was part of. They fully made the move over. Chris went on to win the Intercontinental Championship as a solo wrestler versus Chris Jericho. And at the time, The Rock went on statement saying that he was really proving himself and that he was going to be someone to watch. Right? If The Rock is talking about you. You got my attention. Hot damn. And this is when he was cooking. The Rock is always going to be cooking. Forever. It's true. Forever and always. He never, like, got less hot. Not one time. The Rock for president. Honestly. He won't. He already said so. Ugh. Chris was also fighting many other big names at the time, like Kurt Angle. And the first time that he was going for a championship belt, he was actually going up against big old ass Brock Lesnar, which I'm sure you know who he is. This 5'11", 220 guy is going up against Brock Lesnar, who has that fucking mouthpiece, Heyman, following him around everywhere, who also just had like a shit feud with Chris Benoit as well. It's like he had... So many storylines over the years that he just always had, like, a little bit of a beef with everyone. And he was always a little bit of a heel. Do you know what a heel is? No. Heel's like a bad guy. A face is a good guy. Okay. I love how into heel. this you are. If forever, nobody yeah. can see you, but, like, I've never seen Katie tell a story so animated. And, like, she's been smiling the whole time and it's phenomenal to watch. it's borderline funny. The passion is great. <laughs> I know it's going to get really brutal at a certain point, but I... I think that's also why I'm just enjoying this. The real high of this is just because the lows go real low. I love seeing how much you enjoy talking about it. Because I know you love it. You always have. I do. Yeah, I think I've just always secretly loved wrestling. I just haven't had the time to commit to it. It's a lot. It's like six to nine hours a week to really keep up. 
It's like the same as Big Brother. Exhausting. Yeah. When facing off at Royal Rumble, he managed to take out one of the biggest people in the running, Big Show, and he won the last spot in the Royal Rumble match, which gave him a spot in the title match at WrestleMania 20 versus Triple H and Shawn Michaels in a triple threat match. Triple threat. Yeah. He was seen as the underdog here, not expected to take any real notoriety in this match, but with 20,000 fans there, Chris was able to take the title for his first and it was actually the first win by submission ever for this type of match. Oh, so he also got to get a little record there for yeah, that's him. a big deal. What? Totally. He continued to win titles and matches and presumably essentially was made for the sport from what everyone said watching him. He was built for this. Come to June 23rd of 2007, a family friend got a voicemail from Chris saying that he had overslept, missed his flight, and he would be late for the Texas show. Called Chris back around 3.30 p.m. He sounded like he had just woken up again, which was odd because he was a very punctual person Yeah, for his commitments. He sounded very tired, very groggy. And said that he was up and he was going to get ready and he was booking new flights and ended the call. Hmm. He called back 12 minutes later and left a voicemail. At 3.44, Chris calls him back again and he says, I've booked the flights, but I'm really stressed. I've just been a wreck the last 24 hours. Everyone here is sick with food poisoning. So instantly he's kind of thinking, okay. Chris is just having a really hectic time. Nancy and Daniel both have food poisoning. He's just kind of run off his feet. Okay. Yeah, fair. Other friends had heard from Chris at the time, and he had said that Nancy and Daniel were, like, vomiting blood and really sick as well. So when they all kind of started talking to each other, they were like, oh, it's really bad. No wonder he's late. I get it. They were pretty understanding and all honesty and empathetic to the situation i feel like i would be too vomiting blood and you have food poisoning though like go to the hospital please i don't think that's normal but yeah no totally i mean if somebody was like sorry i'm gonna be late because my entire family is throwing up blood due to food poisoning i'd be like yeah okay but like also you should go see somebody about that well, also, if you then call him and he's really groggy and kind of weird, I'd be like, maybe, are you okay? I mean, I think you just are assume you that they're sick, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what I mean. I think you'd be like, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. Fair. Chris called the WWE talent coordinator and explained that Daniel and Nancy need to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And he was going to take them. And that would be why he was missing shows without warning this coming weekend. And that... He may not make it to Houston for the shows, but he thinks that he'll be there for the Sunday night pay-per-view, which is really all that matters. They can work around the other shows if they're not televised, Um, but that one he really needed to be there for, and he said that he had booked a later flight, and he would be there for the match that he was to take part in at the pay-per-view against CN Punk. Okay. Shouldn't be an issue. Sure. Yeah. Guerrero wakes up on the 12th to a text from Chris and all it says is the dogs are in the enclosed pool area. That's it. Like what? Kind of looks at it. Doesn't think it's that weird. And I'll get to it in a second. And then he gets another text right away saying, and the back door will be open with address and instructions. So he's like, okay, whatever. 
But then he gets the exact same two text messages from Nancy's phone, which he thinks at first is weird, but then he remembers that he was supposed to be going there in a few days, and he assumed they were just both proactively sending him the instructions he would need for when he went there, Mm -hmm. um, because he was going to be visiting and thought maybe they were just letting him know, like, how the house works before he shows up, or maybe in case they're not there. Yeah, that makes sense. It just is weird that it's like the exact same text from her phone. Like the same instructions, yes. The same exact wording, no. Unless he wrote it too. Exactly. Or he copy and pasted it to her and she sent it again. It's just, it's too weird. That doesn't even make sense. It doesn't. And I think when you're in a moment where you kind of panic, then you start to make excuses for everything. You explain it away to downplay it. And I think he was starting to get a little bit concerned, but he was just kind of trying to put those emotions at bay. Mm -hmm. Hi, friends. If you like what you hear and you want to get even more content from us, we're officially live on Patreon. Patreon is a subscription service where you can get early access to our regular episodes, get bonus episodes, live Q&A sessions, and more. Visit the link in this episode description to learn more and sign up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Podcast by Proxy. Katie and I are so appreciative of every single one of you for being here with us. If you want to support us even more, don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Growing the show means we will be able to invest more time into bringing you more stories like the one you're hearing today. Hi, I'm Keely. I'm the host of a podcast called Misty Mysteries. Misty Mysteries is a true crime and paranormal podcast. Once a week on Sunday, I tell you, the listener, about an unsolved homicide or missing person case. And the next week, I talk about a paranormal or supernatural topic. When I started Misty Mysteries, my only goal was to tell the stories of victims of these crimes and to help families get their family members' stories and names out there in hopes to solve their case or help bring them home without adding more trauma for the family or focusing too much on the people who hurt them. If you would like to listen to Misty Mysteries, you can find it on podcast listening places such as Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, and most of your favorite listening places. And I really hope to see you next Sunday. Shortly after this, though, Guerrero does go to talk to the WWE manager himself, John Warren Titus. He said that it was really odd that the behavior of him not showing up, not communicating properly, as well as just booking shows and not being there for Chris was just a non-negotiable. He did not do that. If he said he was going to be somewhere, he was there. Right. And early. Like, you never had to worry about him. Essentially, was what everybody was saying. And they did ask the local authorities to reach out and do a welfare check. Okay. That you have the WWE event security call and explain the situation and have the Fayette County police go out. I feel like that's a good idea, like, given everything we've heard. Yeah, I don't think it was unreasonable. Like, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, the people closest to you that spend a lot of time with you, like, know your regular behaviors. Because you can say, like, yeah, I mean, celebrities are allowed to get sick and have things happen and cancel shows, too. But I think... Like, the people closest to you know when something's, like, wrong based on just how you're communicating, right? Like, oh yeah, there's more to it than just, like, he didn't come. That made them jump to that conclusion is more what I'm saying. Like, 
Yeah, it was they pieced together a few little things and realized that it was so grossly out of character right yeah. away that and they were pretty quick to act on it. And those are good friends. Yeah, oh, for And sure. good resources to have. Well, this Guerrero guy was essentially like family. Right. They were so close. <clears throat> when police approach the house, nothing looks out of sorts. When they knock on the door, though, there's no answer. They are able to enter the home. They gain access. Uh, as soon as they go into the home, they go into one of the bedrooms. There they find Nancy wrapped in a towel. Her limbs are tied. She's been strangled. And they find bruising on her back. They do notice in passing that her body has started to show signs of minimal decomposition. Showing that she may have been there for multiple days. Brutal. Yeah, and this is about 2.30 in the afternoon that they're going into the home. And this is on what day? 25th. Okay. So, like, two days after that original phone call. Yeah, because they were getting the texts and stuff for the 23rd. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, it sounds like it was, like, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay, okay. Because the pay-per-view was the Sunday. Okay. As officers move through the home, they then find Daniel, who has also been strangled. Ugh. Yeah. They said it was a pretty heart-wrenching scene That's overall. Horrible. Okay. Mm-hmm. As they move further through the home, they reach where they find Chris. He is hanging from the wires suspended in his gym equipment. He released the counterweight to create a heavy pull, causing asphyxia on his lap pull-down machine. Oh, damn. Yeah. That's gnarly. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. I know, when I actually got into kind of what happened and, like, the quote-unquote nitty-gritty of all of this, I was actually pretty shocked to find all the details and just what had actually happened. It was, it's so crazy. And like, those machines have sharp wire. Oh, yeah. And this was a very strong guy. Yeah. So just thinking what, what it would take for that to actually happen. That's crazy. Just, yeah. Hmm. yeah. By 4.15 p.m., police officers emptied the, entered the home around 2.30. By 4.15, the WWE had been notified. I don't even know if their next of kin had been notified, but somehow the WWE's already notified. The WWE wanted to control the narrative as a family entertainment company, and immediately they started posting that they had a live SMS update option that you could sign up for. Yep. And that there would be live updates on the website as they could confirm further details about what was happening. They canceled Raw for the night of that performance. Oh, Oh, hold on. Okay. And they played a three-hour tribute to Chris, which was clips of his life, career, and segments from a documentary created about him called Hard Knocks. ABC News starts to release the truth of the matter that this is going to be looked into as a murder-suicide, and that, based on the scene, they believe that, quote-unquote, all weapons 
have been accounted full. Okay. So essentially, everything that was on site was all that was needed. They do not believe anything was taken in or out of the home. Right. And it's pretty clear what they're saying. So yeah. the next day, by the time WWE is kind of open for business again, Vince McMahon makes a public statement and advises that the previous night they had a tribute for Chris with clips and words from friends and loved ones, but this night, however, there would be no mention of Chris and that this night is for the people affected by the tragedy. Okay. Nice to see that you're you're still set on making that coin, though. Oh, boy. This is still the stance by the WWE that all footage... Of Chris has been removed, including all matches with other wrestlers, whether they are existing or non-existing still. All their footage got removed. And most of his matches have been removed from any archives from history. And that's a lot because he was one of the biggest wrestlers at the time. Yeah. To just like wipe he fought everybody person completely from their network. I mean, it's an image thing, right? It literally wipes out, essentially, like, months of Booker T's career. Yeah, fair. Like, you're taking away other people's accomplishments, too. Yeah, Yeah. it's a really crazy place to be, but I don't know. It's, I have very mixed feelings about that. Just like I have mixed feelings about, like, artists or movies and things being removed or boycotted after someone's found to have done something terrible right there's still a lot of other people that went into that piece of work yeah and should what they've put into it be discredited i think that all the money that's made off that should go to the victims of said person yeah i don't think money should be able to be profited on it but i don't think it means that a piece of art should be removed from history yeah. Because other people's blood, sweat, and tears went into it as well. So I think it's something that needs to be just treaded lightly. That's all. Yeah, like put a disclaimer. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, those are hard because I think I can see both sides. Um, Same. But also. I just don't think it should be a profitable I think topic. the WWE was really just trying to like sweep something under a rug and remove itself from that situation, right? Like they don't want their name tied to that Without at all. A doubt. So hey, we'll just like completely remove him and pretend like this never happened. Um, and eventually, enough people that weren't around when this happened won't know anyways, and it will have never happened. Like that's you know exactly just effective marketing. But yeah, there is a part of me that from a company standpoint understands why the wwe would want to separate themselves from such a tragic and traumatic event i get that however it's a family and they loved chris and this and that so it's just hard for them to just turn their back but we'll get into that more yeah forensic searches showed that chris did do searches on his computer for the quickest way to break your neck He was looking for ways to kill himself. When an autopsy was done, Nancy's body showed bruising all up her back that would imply that that Chris was kneeling on her back and there was a pool of blood underneath her head as well. So with her limbs tied, he likely, her face or head had hit the floor while his knee was on her back, and he then strangled her as well. 
Yeah, or like he knocked her down or something and she hit her head and then he kneeled yeah. on her and strangled her like it like he surprised her or they struggled or something. Yeah. 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 Or it could have been something that yes happened while he was tying her up like in the struggle. It could have just been it could have been anything. Yeah. The head bleeds a lot, so it's not unrealistic. Mm-hmm. So. Toxicology does show that there were three drugs in her system, but all at personal levels. Like, did they think she took them and, like, he wasn't trying to drug her kind of thing? Exactly. Yeah. Like, a hydrocodone in her system, but it could have been something used for pain management. Yeah. And they said that her alcohol toxicology levels, again, very small amounts, nothing that they felt that she had been pressured to consume, forced to consume, or anything like that. Yeah. An autopsy of Chris's body showed that there was really no physical reason why this should have happened. As in, they didn't find that he had taken a bunch of drugs right beforehand and that was in his system and caused this to happen. Um, They were leaning in the way of something like a roid rage or a mental issue. There was no physical attributes within his body that would indicate why this happened. Right. I wonder about his brain. We'll get there. I'm sure we're going to scan it at some point. I can, I just imagine that's coming with the fact that his signature move was a diving headbutt. I mean. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Okay. On Daniel's autopsy, they find he was heavily sedated with Xanax, implying that he really didn't have it in him to kill Daniel. He needed to be heavily sedated. Yeah. There was minimal internal bruising indicative with the strangling. Otherwise, there was no sign of trauma or struggle with Daniel with the heavy sedation levels. As mentioned, Nancy's body had started to decompose. She had been killed a day or two prior to Daniel, possibly even many days. We do come to find out that the murder happened over a three-day period. Oh, wow. So he killed... Nancy the first day and then they believe that he killed Daniel and himself on the third day. So he actually stayed in the home with Daniel right. for like 48 hours I, with Nancy's body. I wonder if it was like a, some form of a rage attack and then he just like was with Daniel trying to figure out what to do for two days and then just panic killed him. Um, I'm curious about, because I know you're going to continue to tell me so I'm not even going to guess what goes on. You had said that he sounded really groggy on the 23rd on the phone. Did they do they think that he was like on it on Xanax or anything or something at that point? Yeah, they do believe that he likely had just been self-medicating over the weekend, right. whether that be drugs, alcohol, anything, but they do think he was medicating himself with Xanax for sure. Okay. That was trace amounts were still in his system, so he had been taking it. Okay. The weird thing is when they went through the house and actually looked at what had happened and how it happened, it looked like it had been meticulously planned. It didn't quite look like a snap reaction. And that was the odd part. I mean, I obviously thought it was some kind of snap as well. I even have that note there. Mm-hmm. And like right as it was happening or after it happened, there was a really strange post that came up on the Chris Benoit Wikipedia page stating that Chris, it's really odd, that he had been replaced by Johnny Nitro for the ECW World Champion match at Vengeance, 
which wasn't true. But with everything going on, it sounded like a reason for him to snap or a reason for X to happen. Immediately, people were like, what is going on? Is this true? And it was like a one in 10,000 chance that it could have even been right. Right. Or that it... Or that something would have happened where it could have been correlated to it. Crazy turn of events. The post was like ten and a half hours before police went into the house. Oh. Okay. It was at 4 a.m. Weird. It's really, really odd. But I'm assuming like the media just got a hold of this and the narrative changed too. Exactly. And they were like, oh, he must have snapped because he was so angry that he had been replaced. Yeah. And of course, everyone's like on this guy and this post is going viral and they're all like, oh my God. But the post was actually from someone who also by chance lived in Sanford, Connecticut, which is where the WWE was based out of. So that actually looked even worse because then they're like, oh, it's local too. The information must be real. They got the guy's computer, found out it was a huge coincidence, like, cleared this, like, kind of frat boy that just made this post and was like, at 4 a.m. It was nothing more than that. That was the crazy part. It truly was just some fucking weird coincidence. To this day, because of this, people like to believe that Chris came home, found Nancy, and Daniel murdered and killed himself out of shock and grievance when he found them like that crazy i know i know planet i think these are just the fans that don't want to believe that this wholesome french canadian sweetheart that we all love could have done this which i get i think we always want to see the best in people um but i This is where it kind of all turns, and I don't know how, I agree with you, I don't know how people can think this anymore, because this now flips the narrative to the, like, what inside sources and friends were saying, because Rene Dupree, uh, someone close to the couple, says that Chris had been taking pills very frequently on a regular basis, Nancy had been talking about leaving him, their marriage was not what it looked like from the outside anymore, they were no longer happy, And he was getting crazy outbursts and really angry at her and quite violent. This friend honestly went on the record and said, I think he killed Nancy in some kind of rage blackout. And then, yeah, panicked and killed Daniel and himself because he didn't know another way out. So he sedated Daniel and... I mean, just had to follow through with it that, at that point. He felt like he had no other option. Yeah, I mean, that to me sounds like somebody who sat around for two days and panicked and was in, like, what am I going to do mode and thought about it. And then, yeah, the second half of it was absolutely planned because you had two and a half days to think about what you were going to do. But I just don't. Mm-hmm. I don't and understand. And why was Nancy wrapped in a towel? Like, that almost makes it look like he tried to, like, cover her up or something. Wrapping her up or in like, a towel? Did he panic and try to, like, put a towel over her to not look and see what he had done? Yeah. Or, like, was there some reason that he put that towel over her? It just, I couldn't find out if it was, like, she had just gotten out of the shower or something, but it said she was wrapped in a towel when police found her. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, like, psychological things that go along with that, too, like, uh, caring for somebody or being ashamed, yeah. not being able to see their face. Covering the face. Like, usually if you 
just kill a stranger. You don't need to cover up their face because you don't know them. You have no personal connection to them. So there's a lot of like human behavior stuff that goes along with that. Yeah. There was also one other crazy theory though. Oh God, what is it? I just, hold on. Before, before you go there. <laughs> to the to the to anybody who thinks that this man just like came home and found his wife and son murdered and then went to his gym and and killed himself with his lap pull down machine, why would that be your first reaction to that? And police have said there's no other suspects. But like, why? Why would why? Would, I don't know. You I, would, you would call somebody or that that doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, yeah. what is the other crazy theory? Oh, they think that a crime syndicate killed them all and staged it as a suicide. Oh, okay. Who? What crime syndicate would do? Again, like Please. you said, people don't want to believe that their idol, this person that they idolized, um, could do something Never like that. Never meet your heroes. We also, as human beings, um, default to truth with people so we default to transparency we assume that strangers are what they are, are good. in front of us and that they're good and that they're telling the truth that's just like part of being human and there's actually like reasons why that's a good thing and why we shouldn't think everybody is lying but like that's just part of being a human is we can't believe that what we see isn't what's actually happening and also like if there is doesn't mean that he wasn't who you thought he was or like that person. Like people mm -hmm. have things that go on or anyway, I don't know. I just We're all human behind closed doors. That's the thing yeah. we have to remember. <laughs> everybody needs a moment of privacy because everybody breaks down and has bad days. Yeah. So For sure. we have to give people a little grace. But we also need to be checking on people and just because someone has money doesn't mean they don't need help either. Yeah, 100%. So check on your friends and check on people. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. This is very interesting. His ex, Martina, the mother of his two other children, because his current wife had died and they had children together and she was the previous spouse, she's actually his next of kin. So she actually got a bunch of possessions were sent there for the children or from the home one of which was a Bible that when she was flipping through, she found a bunch of notes inside of it. Oh, no. And Chris explained in the notes that he had been struggling in the days leading up to the tragedy. And in one line that is repeated through every newscast that you'll see is he wrote in his handwriting, I'm prepared to leave this earth. Nobody knew how hard he was struggling. Mm -hmm. And news released, he was on heavy steroid use. And other athletes confirmed around him that Chris was on many steroids and that he took testosterone cypionate. At autopsy, it was found that his levels indicated that he had actually taken steroids right up to the time of death, pretty much. The levels were high enough that he was still using actively throughout the time, regardless of what was happening in that last 48-hour period. Yeah. A WWE spokesperson stated that the steroids were prescribed to him as replacement therapy. It was a common medical practice for people who had used steroids in the past and suffered from testicular damage. A WWE rep claimed that they did not believe that it was roid rage and that over the days it was not a snap decision. They feel as though it was premeditated. In a New York prosecutor... In a New York prosecutor? <laughs> in 2005, a New York prosecutor found two different companies 
signature pharmacies in uh, Medic's life had confirmed shipments to addresses that Chris had used, whether he was on the road or at home, for human growth hormones. And many other pro wrestlers over the five years that did work with him also agreed that they had either used with him or were aware he was getting shipments to hotel rooms on the road and confirmed to his home address as well. So he was on testosterone, steroids, and HGH. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then he also took a... He had a prescription for Xanax that was prescribed. And he also had uh, one other one again. I think like a hydrocodone of some kind. Right. Which would be like so he had like pain med, but I just feel like yeah. HGH, testosterone, and steroids as a combination is wild. Yeah, you're sending your body into hyperdrive all the time, every day. Yeah. From 2007 to 2009, the USA House Committee of Oversight and the government reformed open further investigations regarding the use of steroids in pro wrestling. Um, Dr. Fauci was on this committee. I saw his cute little self over at the <laughs> side when I saw really? the doctors. He's just like standing there. Yeah, because it's like a committee of oversight. So they just look over medical use of any drugs within an industry and this was just the steroid use within the wrestling world fair <laughs> yeah henry waxman pleased to have an examine of steroid use in the pro wrestling and take appropriate action and steps to address this problem it's out there everyone knows it mm-hmm. and in march of 2006 or the first year of 40 percent of athletes tested positive for drugs or steroid, even after being told in advance that WWE associates were going to be drug tested. You were told in advance and 40% of you still tested positive? Probably tried to use one of those pee cleaning kits that don't actually work. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Some people, I mean, it's hard to get people to stop doing something that they've been doing for so long. Well, I guess, too, you're going to withdraw and be all crazy, too. So it's like, is it worth the 24 to 72 hours off of it to pass a drug test? You, I see why people buy pee. It's weird. I feel yeah. weird that I just said that. Absolutely. I mean, it completely alters your behavior and your like how your brain works. So, yeah. Yeah. In February of 2006, so right around the same time as they were doing all this new drug testing, the WWE did introduce the WWE wellness policy, and this was to ensure that athletes were just overall taking better care of their health, not using drug use, having consistent medical care, uh, as well as mental health care, too. Uh, Along with Chris Benoit, tragically, Eddie Guerrero also died of drug complications, and he was found dead in a hotel room. Sad. Yeah, it's... It's pretty tragic how many, it seems, of these lives were affected by drug use in some way. It's really crazy. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot more awareness and knowledge about drugs and sports now. Like, it was very normal Mm -hmm. in, you know, the 80s and even the 90s to be doing all this kind of stuff with no real awareness of how severe the consequences are. It's only because of cases like this that we even have all those policies, right? So 100%. There was actually like 10 huge names that were still part of the first drug scandal. Like after they started doing the drug testing and they were starting to be really transparent about it. I think trying to like also scare some people out of doing it as well. So 
it's not really going to matter to you, but for anyone who cares, some of the big names that were involved in the first steroid scandal within the WWE following the start of testing and the wellness program was Edge, Johnny Nitro, my boy Randy Orton, whoo, hottie, Rey Mysterio, and Mr. Kennedy. I was really sad to see Randy Orton there. Because... Look him up right now. Oh my gosh, okay. I just love that you're like, my boy. He's so hot. Oh man. Okay, yeah, he's pretty good looking. Like he's a like compared he's to a some wrestlers who with, have like a shit persona and they're like douchey. I was gonna say he's a big white dude with tattoos, but he looks like less douchey than most. He looks actually tough. Really the only dis- that's the only description I can really give. If I saw him walking down the street, I would still think he's tough. Whereas yeah, other fair. guys walk down the street, and I'm like, "You're a wrestler." Anyway. Yeah, like, he looks a lot less like he goes, like, tanning all the time and stuff than, Mm -hmm. like, I just looked up a picture of Chris Benoit. (laughs) And, like, why is his neck so thick? Because he was on a lot of steroids and he worked out literally seven days a week. Yeah, okay. But, like, his is that what you were saying when you said that I would know right away when I looked at him? Is that what you're talking about, his neck? I don't know when I said that. Oh. You just said that he had, like, a distinct physical feature or something no i was just saying oh no no no. he just had like a standout physique in general i said okay Uh, people were just shocked when they saw him and they thought he was just built to be an athlete of some kind in a full contact sport yeah i mean he definitely has the like classic v shape down he's got the beefcake look he's got it going on yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so around when everybody was pumping steroids the rock even said team managers owners other players everybody would just turn the other cheek the bigger you were the more money came in yeah that was just the way it was reports alleged that chris had the brain of someone who suffered from severe dementia and was likely the age of 85 when they reviewed his brain on autopsy and scans wow And the jury is still actually out on the fact that they're not sure if he really knew what he was doing. Yeah. So although, yes, in his mind, the actions he was doing, he knew how to do them. And yes, his body knew what he was doing. We still to this day have no idea mental capacity wise or what his understanding of the situation was. We don't know if he was aware of what was happening to this day and that's really sad as well so what did they consider him as a cte patient so after this yeah i was just about to when his brain was sent away he was actually diagnosed with cte Mm -hmm. and those are small undiagnosed concussions continually happening over years it is a chronic traumatic encephalopathy Mm mm-hmm It's typically from athletes in any kind of striking sport or full contact sport with repeated banging of the head. And it actually takes like eight to 10 years to fully show up. Even if you're an athlete and you retire, you likely won't have your CTE symptoms till into your 40s. And then you'll actually see them gradually come on. It can also be known as fist fighters dementia, boxer's madness, or punch drunk syndrome. Yeah. Most of the first stages you'll notice would be confusion, disorientation, and dizziness, along with headaches 
and mood and behavior changes. Then you may notice slight Parkinson's-like symptoms, tremors, shaking, and uncontrollable muscle stimulation. In severe cases, it would be full-blown dementia and Parkinson's-like symptoms as well. The causes can be from mild repetitive head trauma. And the crazy thing is it says mild repetitive. He had severe repetitive. Yeah. And a lot of military personnel also have this from being near constant blasting because it's just mild trauma and that's so impactful too with the inner ear and the eardrum, large caliber guns and firearms going off. Yeah. Also, this can frequently be seen in women or men, any individual really who suffers consistent domestic abuse and trauma at the hands of another person, being pushed down, shoved into walls, things like that may seem minor and inconsequential, just bumping into someone. But over years and years of trauma and repeated behavior will eventually lead to long-term symptoms. It's really shocking and crazy. Yeah, that's interesting because you hear more about CTE with, like, football players. Like, I'm sure immediately everybody went to Aaron Hernandez. Um, Things like this, wrestlers, like, those kind of high, high caliber. You don't think about, yeah, that makes sense. that somebody who would be doing it properly. Well, no, it's just, I feel like typically we think about that. We don't think about, like, repeated domestic violence could do the same thing. We just, like, we we only consider it with, like, those extreme, extreme things. Yeah, I was shocked to find that it's actually a much smaller scale repeated trauma. Mm. I thought it was, like, yeah, exactly like what you're saying is full contact sports, like, tackling these big huddles of people landing on each other. The diving stuff. headbutt. Yeah, but it can be these minuscule repeated yeah. traumas that can have these grandiose, crazy traumatic effects. And I just think it's redundant. Well, and that's just the craziest part is there's no way to actually see it until you're gone. After. Like, you literally can't Yeah, and even the symptoms don't show up till after. Like, you can't even have a precursor to know what's going to happen to you. Yeah. And I think by the time your life is so different, by the time the symptoms show up, you almost don't think that's what it is. Mm. Another contestant who was on a show called Tough Enough with him actually said that Chris made a remark at that time, which was early in his career, that he had had more concussions than he could count. He already didn't know at that point. He had lost count. That's not good. David Benoit said that he would never do that. This was his surviving son. Mm -hmm. It was not for him, and CTE provided some peace of mind with the diagnosis and at least allowed him an opportunity to move forward with his life. Yeah. As someone who also wrestled, it gave him kind of a wake-up call and awareness to what he needs to do to do this in a healthy, safe way. Yeah. The diving headbutt was the means of most of the traumas, um, as well as because it was his signature move, he was doing it on such a consistent basis. The original creator was uh, Handsome Harley. He says that he regrets ever creating the move, now knowing that so many other wrestlers have gone on to try to replicate it. And injured themselves. And he actually went on to just pass away in 2019 after going on record saying that he wishes he had never created the move. Yeah, that's fair. And, like, probably at the time he didn't think that it was going to, like, catch on and be this crazy move. He was just probably trying to do something to get the wows. And 
it was such a domino effect. Like, he never could have seen this coming. He literally created the move. Someone named Tom Billington, who was one of Chris's idols as well, took on the move, as did the Dynamite Kid, who was his other favorite wrestler. So it was natural that he picked this move. And then he actually went on to meet Tom Billington and be part of a tag team with him for a little bit. So he also got to, like, work with his hero. So that, like, solidified it. Tom Billington was a member of the British Bulldogs who also went on to suffer a stroke at, I believe, a pretty young age. And doctors completely associated to continued head trauma. That's just so crazy. I mean, like, I know that it's entertainment and I know that it brings these people in a lot of money. But, I mean, at the end of the day, like, people are destroying their brains so that humans can be entertained by it. But they are, like, encouraged to be angry, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. He had to make this move bigger and badder and better because it had been used before. So before it used to just be a diving headbutt from ground level. He's the one that put it up on the turnbuckle from the top of the rope. And he needed that extra risk factor and ended up using that move, doing it that way for 22 years. Yeah. 22 years. He claimed that he had rarely actually made contact with the mats. Most of the time it was his wrists and arms that did the fall. But of course there's times that didn't make it. And even to this day, when you and I, and I say you and I loosely, when I was watching wrestling and you were along for the ride, a current wrestler named Daniel Bryan also was using this move and had a very similar style to Chris in wrestling. And he was eventually forced to retire early or like take time off because he's come back since. But they said it was because he had so many concussions that he needed to take time off and be monitored before they would approve him to wrestle again. Yeah. Scans even showed that post-mortem, there were huge segments of Chris's brain that were just, like, without any damage. But then there was other parts where it had severe damage and even the brain stem itself was damaged. So I don't even know how they can say that if they couldn't find any physical attribute within his body to then look at his brain and see that. I don't know how the WWE can kind of still be like, well, we don't know. Yeah, no, for sure. The Sports Legacy Project is who actually did all the final assessments after the autopsy and did the additional brain scans. This was 100% at Michael Benoit, his dad's approval. He said that if anything was going to come from this, he wanted to bring awareness and create the opportunity for the research. Dr. O'Malley was shocked by the brain age, as we mentioned, and that he was surprised that Chris was even able to get himself in and out of an airport or two events, not to mention be a functioning part of an event, or to remember how to maneuver the moves within the ring. He was shocked that he was essentially even on his feet at this time. And the odds today of someone being able to get to the level that Chris is at would be so rare just because of how frequently we are scanning athletes and looking into these smaller bits of damage. Yeah, And... It later came out that in 2003, Nancy actually did file for divorce and filed a protective order against Chris because he had been quite violent within the home. Um, But later in August of that year, she actually dropped both, including the divorce. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine if if that's how... Like, if that's how low-functioning they're saying his brain was in terms of just, like, general cognition... He probably wasn't super pleasant to be around a lot of the time because 
the first thing that really oh. goes is your impulse control, right? Like those parts of your brain that like tell you when there's danger. It's like throwing furniture. <laughs> and when to respond to it. And if that's not working, then everything is danger and needs to be responded to immediately. And then it's just chaos, mm-hmm. right? It's overwhelming. It's it shocking. Yes. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a stressful world to be a part of for yeah. sure. Yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, the only other thing that they said is Chris mentioned to a couple other people that he maybe thought that Nancy was having an affair, but they say that that could have just been his paranoia with everything else going on. And they don't necessarily believe that to have been true, although Chris had concerns. Yeah. I think, I think unfortunately we, a lot of the time just like need to make sense of something that we can't make sense of. And so... More than likely, we will never know what actually happened, and that's just a fact. Like, we can speculate, but that's just us wanting to, like, put a bow on it. Yeah, I think it's comfortable to say that 80% of this was CTE, and maybe 20% was life, because Mm -hmm. I think that life is always still a factor. Yeah. How you react to your outside world is still big. Yeah. There needs to be more accountability and protection on these athletes from the higher-ups and the companies and the networks. And these are human beings. These aren't just chess pieces. And I understand they sign contracts accepting money for Mm -hmm. these risks. That does not mean, though, that these people should be used as weapons and fuel to be bigger, badder. Yeah. Mm. Be better athletes. That's fine. Be the best you can be but doesn't mean at the expense of things like this, it's avoidable. Yeah, and I mean, that that means, like, completely changing your branding and, like, the messaging inside of your community. Because I, I don't know if nowadays anybody is like, I mean, maybe, but with so much emphasis on this kind of stuff nowadays, I'm sure that behind closed doors, there's not, like, that immediate or direct pressure mm-hmm. for all of that, but it's, like, the the community and how the fans are responding like there's this implied pressure to be bigger and better and better right like even if there's not direct pressure verbally there's still this like implied pressure from society and the world yeah i think as anyone who was a wrestling fan though we can probably all agree that vince mcmahon was that person to be like bigger better better if you're not making me money you're useless well then yeah for sure i just mean now oh for sure but i also think that we are moving in the way of providing more like we said protection and security for athletes as well and i think that the world is starting to see like people who weren't part of the true crime community are starting to see that athletes and celebrities are people too and i think If you've been part of the true crime community, you know that those people do bad things and they have or they've been struggling and had trials and tribulations themselves for years. I think everybody else is learning about it. And I think it's just part of that, like getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is. Yeah, there's a there's a price that's paid for you to enjoy these sports. The veil is being unlifted. Yes. Unlifted. Does that mean it's being put back down? The veil is being lifted. Thank you. (laughs) I'm tired. (laughs) I think you should go to the gym now. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I am going to do that. I'm going to go break shortbread. The gym seems like a dark place now, knowing how that ended. But, yeah, I'm going to go anyway. 
That was phenomenal. Thank you for telling Don't us. Use the lap machine. That story. Um, rest in peace to Nancy and Daniel, and hearts go to your families. Stay, yeah, and stay the safe out there. Children, they don't have their father anymore, and it just was a really traumatic time for I think the entertainment world and yeah. their family and everything. I think it was just a big shock, and then for it to be such a different narrative within twenty four hours too from the network that was trying to own it to suddenly just cut off and distance themselves because it didn't match that he was still a hero. He was now the bad guy. Yeah, it was disappointing as well from the network point of view to see that they just gave up on one of their own so quickly, but that's what happens. It's also disappointing, though, knowing that, like, after everything came out the way that it did, they didn't kind of, like, rework that narrative again and use it to promote... Awareness. Like, CTE and awareness and stuff. Like, sure, at the onset. But if they I promote see, it, then they're owning that they had a they're hand in it. perpetuating it and creating right. the opportunity for it. And fair. I think it just falls too much on liability, and they don't want that. Yeah, it's, that's fair. Let us know what you think if you want to hear more sporty cases. I do. Or if you want to hear more about Chris Benoit's wrestling career, maybe we'll do like a wrestling <laughs> Patreon episode. I don't know. Wrestling by proxy. We all have our interests. <laughs> oh boy, we're going to start a whole and again, new podcast over on Patreon, so. <laughs> Georgia Hardstark's husband has a podcast about wrestling, so. Love that. Again, too, for anyone listening, hit us up on social media if you want to take advantage of one of the limited number of complimentary good food orders we can provide to you. So you'd get one week free of meal kits that you can order and make at home. There's also grocery services and other options that you can order right to your door. So be sure to check it out. And if you want to take advantage, reach out to us on social media or by our email address in the link tree. Love it. Bye. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me.